And if you would uh, all please stand as we open up the word this morning. I don't really, I don't know about the rest of you, but worship was um, just what I needed this morning. And I think that that is where we can leave that as we go into the word and in prayer. Starting in verse 1 of John chapter 17. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so if you get tired, don't feel like I'm going to be offended if you sit. But when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one only, or the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of this world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they believe that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I have made them I have made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them as I in them. This is God's word. You may be seated as we go into prayer. Father, as we take a look at a beautiful prayer and passage that Jesus, our Lord and your Son, prayed before you on his very last night, I ask that you would stir our hearts to understand the power of prayer, the importance of prayer, and the need of responding to you in prayer. 
I want to lift up Tadge and Flossie to you as well as all of the other folks that we have laid before you, Lisa's mom and Philip and all those who raised their hand here this morning, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would just continue to do the work that he is called to do, reminding us of who your son Jesus is to the glory of your name. So, Father, as we enter into your word and we get our hands around what it means to pray and why it is essential for us, teach us the things that we need to know. Help us to hear the things that we need to hear. Soften our hearts and open our minds to know the truth of the word because your word is truth and you are the word. We give you thanks and we give you praise for everything that we have before us, Lord. May you bless this time as we gather around it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. We are on the last part of our worship series. I've titled it very simply, Responding to Him. And I'm not going to go through the entirety of John chapter 17, but I felt it very important for us to read, and it was helpful to, to see the, the things that Jesus said and to hear them as we're gathered together as a community. Because what I want us to really focus on this week as we take a look at this last portion of responding to him is that the cross-formed life, the cross-formed life is centered in and around the work and the example of Jesus our King. He is the marker. And learning that prayer is actually the doorway to our Father in heaven, all because of the faithfulness of Jesus, who he is, and what he did while he was here on earth, brings great comfort to us. And I think that that was evident this morning as we sang. I think that the Holy Spirit moved in, in some ways and in some hearts here that I think was good. It's the whole purpose of us gathering and being together. And in preparing this last message in the series on worship, and having looked at our purposes here on Sunday mornings, we've come to the last, but I certainly wouldn't say it is the least of the three things that we have looked at. It's necessary for us to have all three components of worship as we gather around as a body of believers, functioning for us to be healthy individuals, as well as a community of believers here in Virgins. We are to engage the Lord in song, which we do. We are to encounter him in the word, which is critical and essential. And then when that is all said and done, we respond to him in and through prayer in order to communicate with the creator of the universe. And learning to engage him in our singing and praise is absolutely essential for us because it prepares us and it puts us in a place where we're ready to be able to hear. It focuses our mind and it focuses our spirits as well as softens our heart for the Lord to be able to speak to us. Put aside all the stuff that has been bringing us down or dragging us around throughout the week. You see, the worship team, when we discover that that's the purpose of worship, the worship team then as we have learned, is not here to entertain us. They are not the concert band that shows up with smoke and mirrors to make us happy and do the songs that we want the most, that we like the most. No, their prayerful desire and responsibility, therefore, is to lead us into that place of worship where we step into the presence of God. But we have to be active participants in that. It is our responsibility to be led into that place of worship as the worship team has been very prayerful all week. What we find out then is that we step into the presence of God, or rather, as I said a few weeks ago, heaven itself breaks into our space and our time, and this place is transformed by the Holy Spirit in the way in which he operates through the praises of his people. I'm not going to pretend I understand exactly how that works. I just know that it works, and that's how God operates. 
When I figure it out, I'll let you know. I have a feeling it'll probably be about five seconds after I get into glory. So don't hold your breath. I just know that heaven breaks in when the praises of his people are lifted up and the Holy Spirit is present and this room is transformed. And that's the desire of the worship team every single week that that happens. We are made ready then to hear the word declared and taught from the pulpit. Songs of praise are an offering to our king which he receives. And Isaiah found himself in the midst of the purest praise service he'd ever experienced, we discovered in Isaiah chapter 6. And he was brought to the place where his God quake moment shook him to the core. It wasn't that he was there for no purpose and for no reason and it was just a grand old time where he got to sing and then he went home. No. He had that God quake moment. He was in a place that he didn't deserve to be, but God had him there nonetheless. And in that moment, what do we find? We find grace. We find grace. Look at your history, as Ashley said, of who God is and what he has done in your life. In those moments when you least deserve to have him there, there he is. Grace. Grace. The goodness of our God to allow us in even when we don't deserve to be there. You see, that self-quake moment then happens. That place we all should be when we worship, when we are taking a look at the things we need to lay at the feet of our Creator, where Isaiah discovered himself that he was a dead man walking if there was something or someone outside of him that didn't take away his sin and fix him where he was standing. He realized that, though that's a place that we need to be brought to. Again, what happens there? Grace. Grace happens there at that moment in time. And coals from the altar are taken up and they are brought over to Isaiah and he's touched and his lips are cleansed. How precious, how precious does that grace appear, John Newton says, the hour I first believed. How precious is that grace? You see, Isaiah realizes at that moment in time that he's being prepared for something. This isn't an uneventful thing. This isn't a purposeless thing. He's being prepared for something. He's being prepared to be sent, to be sent out, sent to proclaim to a people who refuse to listen, but he is going to go anyway in love to extend the grace of God our Father to a people who would not listen, but go anyway. Because you know why? There will be moments years on in the history of the people of Israel, and we found that out last week as we studied in Nehemiah, with the returning exiles, that their eyes would be opened. The remnant would see. Their ears would be unstopped. They would hear the words of the Lord again and the praises of the Levites and the priests. And their hearts would be softened as they gathered around once again, reading the word as a community of believers, rediscovering for themselves the purposes and the plans of God in the midst of his abundant grace. They did not deserve to be back in the promised land, but yet there they were nonetheless. You see, the word of God is active. It's a living and it cuts to the core. And we get unsettled by that. Because it is with purpose that God leaves us his word. To bring us to repentance in order to lead us home. Because we are all wandering in our own way. And the word has been presented to us. Home to our Father in heaven. Home to our Father in heaven in order that he grow us and prepare us for the purposes in this world that he has designed for you. Let's back to our teaching in Ephesians 2. Remember, you are his artwork. You are his poem. You see. 
and he has designed works that only you can do for him. If you don't do them, nobody will do them because you have been uniquely created by him with a purpose in this world. Whether you're five years old or you're 85 years old, you have a purpose and you have a reason for being. That's important for us to know. We are his people for his world. It does not matter what this world looks like. This world belongs to he who created it. No matter how much the enemy and those who follow him think that it belongs to them, it does not. This is his good world. It was and given the gift of life in Jesus of Nazareth in order that we may be launched out into that world just as Isaiah was with a purpose and a reason for being, living faithfully present within the mess that you have been put in. You cannot be salt and light in a room by yourself. We are to be sent, faithfully present, within. One pastor says that the boat is designed to be on the water. It's a good boat as long as the water isn't in the boat. You see, so if you're a boat bringing the gospel to a people who are drowning, being in dry dock does nothing. We are to be faithfully present within. That's why we've been called. See, this world doesn't know, nor does it want to bow to its king. See, and that's the story of God. Our duty is to be those people who are faithfully present within for this generation just as it has been from the dawn of time. Even as Isaiah was being launched out, he asked the same question that is still asked today. How long, O Lord? How long? How long is this going to be? And the Lord responds to him in Isaiah 6, verses 11 to 13, until cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. And then he ends this way. The holy seed is its stump. Just that beautiful hint that there will always be a remnant. God is faithful even when we are not. Unsettled in this world of ours, we also ask the same question, don't we? How long, O oh Lord? How long? It's a question that is asked with good reason and with good thought. Along with the prophet, we see the foundations crumbling in our world angry. And we don't even know why we're angry anymore. We're just angry. We're feeling like we're not heard. There are people who are feeling like they're on the fringe or pushed out. And the church sits here and we wonder, how long, O oh Lord? What are we supposed to do in the midst of all of this? How long, O oh Lord? See, Isaiah, again, in the 59th chapter of his writings, he identified that same thing when he says this, that justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares. Don't think for a minute that what's going on in our country is a surprise to God or is a new thing. Look to the scriptures to find your answers. Don't look to put someone in a particular place because you think that they're going to then deliver us from the messes that the world itself makes. The Bible tells us 
that God knows what's going on here and in his goodness and in his providence, he has it all under control. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. There's a promise of God for you you can put on a, a birthday card. Okay, The Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. Don't think for a moment that the creator of the universe is not disappointed that this world is operating the way it is. There will be a day when justice will be had. Perhaps it's today. But perhaps it's a thousand years from today. So we better get about our business of doing what we're supposed to do to make sure that people understand that God passionately loves them and wants them to come home. See, this is an unsettling truth. It should never drive us to despair. It should never drive us to despair. Why? Because prayer is the answer. Everything starts with prayer. Everything ends with prayer. Now, there's a whole lot of work that goes on in the middle. We don't just pray that, you know, the corn would be great in the fall and then look out the window and why is the field just laying there when no one's gone out and put the seed in the ground. See, so you start it with prayer, you end it with prayer, but then there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes on in the middle that we have to take care of. We all know, right, that it's the thing we ought to do first, last, and every moment in between, right? But how often do we actually do it? Prayer is always the last resort for a lot of folks. We get ourselves caught up in the midst of everything, and all of a sudden we remember, don't. Maybe I should take a minute and take a breath and I should pray. We don't do that intentionally. We don't make prayer the last thing, but we're human. And we try to figure out and we wrestle through all the things that are going on in our life in our own way, trying to figure out why it's this way or why that's that way. And how come it is, you know, brother and sister so-and-so can't get along and why are my kids being brats and how come that one kicked the dog and why did Johnny tape Susie into the closet and all these things. We try to figure out all of these different things. Never sitting before the Lord going, okay, Father, what do you have for me to do today? I got my feet over the edge of the bed. That's victory. What is the plan today? We always forget too quickly. And don't be hard on yourself because this is what we all do. We forget that God is sovereign and God is in control. That doesn't change. Even in the midst of the chaos, it doesn't matter who's in power. It doesn't matter who's out of power. It doesn't matter whether you are the prevailing cultural story as Christians or you are meeting in a cave as some people do today. Think we got it tough here in America, huh? God is in control. We start with prayer. We end with prayer. We understand what's going on. You see, there is hope in that. We get discouraged when we forget that very principle, that God is sovereign even over the chaos. Sometimes it's good to take a break from everything and just go stare at the leaves for a minute. You kind of look like you're lost when you're out there. If you were to wander through here on a a Thursday or a Friday and I'm kind of out back or I'm looking out front and I'm just, you'd think maybe I'd lost my keys. No, no, I'm just taking a look at the beautiful blue sky, the leaves changing color, and being reminded that in the midst of all of the crazy that's going on, the birds out there are being fed by him who created them. The picture that you see on the horizon being painted in those beautiful colors is done by him who put those trees there. 
Now, if he cares that much to paint that kind of picture, do you think he cares just a little bit more for you? See, prayer, beginning and ending. You see, Jesus taught us how to pray, didn't he? That was our first reading this morning. Our Father who is in heaven. We get that one. It's a prayer, though, that we ignore to our detriment for whatever various and bizarre reasons. We tend to ignore that. It's a very simple prayer. It's right to the point. But the habit of our Lord was always prayer and never panic. Listen, if there was ever a human being on planet Earth that had a place to go and a hurried way in which to get there, it was Jesus of Nazareth. But never once was he controlled by anything other than what the Father told him. His life was driven by prayer and not panic. And there's many places, again, where we could have landed this week because prayer, as we all know, is not an obscure thing in the Bible. It's not a hard thing for us to find. It's a recurring theme throughout from Genesis all the way to Revelation as God seeks out his creation in order to bring them home. That's why we're here. Sometimes we hear and listen, and sometimes to our detriment, we continue taking off down roads that are better left on traveled and then once we're halfway down those roads we're trying to figure out how we got there and what on earth we're doing the best thing to do is a 180 and go back to where you knew the Lord was speaking to you last and wait for him to talk to you again don't plow through turn around admit your mistake and go back to where you were See Moses for example is in that great intercessory moment as Aaron exercised very poor leadership over the people and he allowed the people to enter into their foolishness because they were concerned. Oh build us an idol they go running to Aaron. Moses has been gone for a long time and we really need to worship so you got to do something for us. And what does Aaron do? He's just the sop in the wind to the people. He does exactly what they want. Moses returns, he finds this out, he confronts Aaron, who promptly shows why he isn't the one whom God called to lead the people of Israel, because he begins to make excuses for the foolishness that he did, and then he blames the people, and he bails on the whole situation. Moses stands in the gap before God, pleading for his people. As rebellious and obstinate as they were, Moses stands in the gap. He's asking God to blot him out instead of his people. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. The next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. That right there in Exodus is Jesus on the cross. Making atonement for our sin. This is why Moses was the great deliverer. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you forgive their sin. Now listen to this. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. That's a powerful prayer before the Lord. I don't want to lose any of the people you've given me. So if they've blown it, take me instead. And I leave that chapter, it's chapter 32 in the book of Exodus, for you to look at and to ponder in your hearts about what it really means to be before the Lord. Because you see, Moses, that great deliverer leading his people in the Exodus, is willing to sacrifice his place before the Father in order that his people survive. But you see, there's one greater than Moses now. We know that. Now how about Daniel? Perhaps he could have been a prophet to study when it comes to prayer. I mean, of all people, Daniel. 
That beautiful prayer in chapter 9, and again, I leave that with you to read and study. Stay away from the 70 weeks. Stop the nonsense trying to figure out what that looks like and, and understand what can be understood in that great and unbelievable prayer that Daniel has in there. Knowing from his studies in Jeremiah, and I keep in mind Daniel's been in exile for some 70 plus years, but he is faithfully living as a godly man underneath a pagan king in a corrupt culture doing exactly what he's supposed to do, faithfully present within, and he understands from the reading of Jeremiah's prophecy that the 70 years is just about up. The majority of his life having been lived away from his home, Jerusalem, he doesn't go before God complaining and whining that things have just oh so rotten and not the way he likes them. No, and that he's gotten a bum deal because probably 12 or 14 years old, Daniel gets shipped off to Babylon. He's pleading for his people. He's praying before the Lord, seeing just as Isaiah did, that they're in need of cleansing and forgiveness. Knowing who God is because of his prayer life and his studies, he doesn't run away complaining. Instead, he kneels down and then he records for us verses 3 and 4, I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. See, prayer, prayer we discover as we read about the great men and women of God in the scriptures is a formed habit. It doesn't happen by accident. It's a cross-formed habit. I call it. Focus on Jesus and you learn. Again, hearts are softened in praise. It helps our minds to be open, prepared and fed by the proclaiming of his word. And as we saw with Nehemiah last week, guess what there was? There was repentance. That repentance was driving them to restoration. Weeping and joy all at the same time in that church service there. Why? Because of God's faithfulness to his covenantal promises. That there would be a faithful seed, the stump that was left. So they're told, eat the good things. Eat the fat, drink the wine. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Yes, in the midst of all of this struggle, in the midst of being confronted with the fact that, hey, we don't deserve to be here. God's grace is poured out. Go home and enjoy. Have yourself a good meal. Don't walk around like you're sucking on lemons all day long and it's just such a miserable thing to be a follower of the Lord. No, go home in great joy because my grace has been poured out. You've been restored. Have yourself a good steak. Have a nice glass of wine. The joy of the Lord is your strength. You see, as we look at the pattern of God's people responding to him in prayer, we find there at the same time that prayer is four things. Okay? Number one, prayer is a time of thanksgiving. Why? Because God's promises are fulfilled. We see that. Number two, it's a time of repentance. Look at Isaiah. Woe is me. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst the people of unclean lips. If you take a look at Moses, and you take a look at Daniel, and you read through those chapters, you'll see them doing the same type of thing. Number three, it's a time of supplication. Once I identify that I'm the broken one in this whole deal, forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for missing the mark. We repent before you. And then it's a time of submission to his will. In other words, here I am, Lord, send me. You're not fixing me so I can sit around and stare at my belly button all day long in a nice comfortable chair and hope that life is going to be good. No, you have me to be doing something. You see, Jesus in this great prayer in John's gospel, known often as the high priestly prayer, gives us a pattern once again. This formed habit of prayer. No matter what's going on around him in the world, within his culture and amongst his people, Jesus' habit is what? Prayer. 
that settled notion that God has absolutely everything under control, even when everything around him is spiraling completely out of control. And it is had only because he prays to the Father, and the Father brings him that comfort and that assurance. I want you to think about that for a minute. Where are we in Jesus' story here? Where are we? Jesus is living out the very last day of his life very last day of his life. He's gathered around the table with his closest friends to celebrate his last Passover meal. He then lets them all know that one of them is going to hand him over to be killed. Please press the potatoes. It's not exactly good dinner conversation, is it? But this is where we are at. Every single thing in Jesus' life and around him is spiraling completely out of control, at least from the world's perspective. You need to understand that. What we are dealing with today in this day and age is nothing new. But where is our gaze fixed? Where are our hearts in the midst of all of the chaos and the crazy of this world? You see, God's plan is moving forward just as it is supposed to move forward. And this ought to drive us to our knees in our lives in crisis moments because it is the pattern of the saints to pray. Anybody who studies the Bible and church history understands that our knees in prayer before our king, most especially when things are going pear-shaped, is what we ought to be doing. But we don't go into crisis prayer in our crisis moments if we don't form that habit in our settled moments. We never go into prayer in our crisis moments if we don't form that habit in our settled moments. I want you to think about that for a minute because habits are formed intentionally. Good ones and bad ones. They're not accidental things. But habits never come about like, whoops, I just tripped into that. Now I've got a habit. No. 30 days at minimum is a habit. So what is your habit in crisis moments? How do you respond? How do you act? How do you think? when the pressure's on and when chaos is all about you? What are the things you say? You see, as human beings, we always default to what is our habit. For me, when I feel uneasy and out of control, the tongue is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. (laughs) And then I'm driven to my knees. I don't know where your moments find you, but, you know, that's, that's my biggest struggle. We can choose to form different habits, which I have over the years, because bad habits can be broken. So what did Jesus do? He always went into prayer. And this is no accident, nor was it something which just happened because he was God in the flesh. Don't ever let that be the reason why you don't get driven to prayer. Remember, the writer to Hebrews tells us that he suffered just as we did, but was without sin. He was fully human. And he was driven to prayer always, giving us the example of how we live. We respond to him in prayer. You see, in his last moments of life, his concern isn't for himself. That unsettled me this week. His last moments in life aren't for himself. They're for those whom he is leaving behind. He says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, 
that they may be one, even as we are one. That's a beautiful thing and an unsettling thing. He knows what's coming, and all he's concerned with is those who he's leaving behind. See, forming spiritual disciplines, carving out that time during your day for prayer, for your devotions, and for your readings in Scripture is absolutely essential for your growth. As your pastor, I say that to you as often as I can. You have got to carve those times out. You see, we will at times feel that we have no time for those things because I'm too busy to stop everything. I like to remind myself, and I say this to Lisa quite often, that I get so busy doing the work of the Lord that I forget the Lord of the work. And I have to pull up stops and I have to sit down for a minute and say, okay, Lord, I'm about six clicks ahead of you. And I'm not doing all that well. You've got to carve that time out because let's be honest, this is a struggle each one of us has in the busyness of our life. But an unarmed Christian is in a dangerous place. Is in a dangerous place. We get so busy that we form a habit out of being busy. Now, I'm not saying sit at home and stare at your belly button and don't do anything, okay? So it's not one extreme or the other. Let's find the balance. Because sometimes we leave no room for the important things. Our relationship with God the Father in Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the relationship through which all other healthy relationships within our lives and habits are formed must be nurtured there. In and through our prayer life with God the Father, in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is essential for your growth. It's essential for your growth because how we respond in these types of pressure moments reveals a lot of who we really are. Now comes the fun stuff, and it's a good thing I'm almost done. How do we respond as individuals and as a body of believers is as important to God as it ought to be to each one of us? Living in this world we live in wasn't something that Jesus missed nor did he misunderstand what we were being left with. He knew how hard it would be. He knew what the pressures were going to be like. He didn't just pray for his friends sitting in front of them, and I find even greater comfort in that because in verse 20 he says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you are sent me who's he praying for here he's praying for you he's praying for you he's praying for you he's praying for me some 2,000 years on down the road here he is on the eve of his death he is concerned about your well-being he's concerned about my well-being he's bringing us up before the father in prayer all who believe in him because of his preaching of the word and those who are called to preach it that's who in all of this, we cannot forget that Jesus is going to the cross to fulfill what the scriptures said about him. And you are the only thing on his mind. You are the only thing on his mind. You see, his vocation and reason for living was to die. To make atonement for that which we could not fix in order that we can stand before God the Father we gather on a Sunday morning to worship the privilege that we have and the safety in which is provided for us.
through the songs, through the hearing of the word, and through prayer. It comes at a cost. So he came to die for you. He came to die for me. And he came to die for all of humanity. Now we can wrestle around which ones and which ones not. I'm not that smart, so I just preach to everyone. Let the Lord sort it out. But he's praying that we be protected. So for those disciples right there in the moment and all of the congregation of believers throughout the history of humanity as he's preparing to die. And there ought to be great comfort and peace in that. And that also ought to be our example for our prayer life. You see, our response to him who called us to himself because he loves us and he wants what's best for us. So our job is to focus on what God wants in us and how he desires to work through us in this world. If you are alive and have a pulse and your feet got over the edge of the bed this morning, you have purpose and reason for being. If you don't think that you do, I encourage you to stay as we close today with a couple of extra songs to just rest in prayer as the worship team leads us in that way. If you are alive today, God has a purpose for you. In responding to him in prayer, we find that he has all of our best interests at hearts. And much like Moses and much like G Daniel, Jesus always had the other in mind in his moment of crisis. He has very little concern about his own life. We're not supposed to have very much concern about our own life, but we are to be out there witnessing and loving people and sharing with them what it is we know because we've been left behind in this chaotic world. It's one of the most beautiful prayers that you can read, John chapter 13 all the way through to 17. Chapter 17 especially, the high priestly prayer. We can have great confidence in the things that Jesus prayed there because long before you and I existed, Jesus prayed for us that we would be protected and that we would have the ability and access to the Father. Prayer is the most powerful thing we have. It's the most powerful thing that we have. Why? Because when all other religions around the world are telling you to find yourself, find yourself, find yourself, you know what prayer says to us? You have access to the creator of the entire universe. Why? Because he passionately loves you. And in his son Jesus, he has said, come home to me. I've made the way. And you have full access in prayer. Come home to me. It's one of the most beautiful prayers that you have here for all of the people he's praying for. N.T. Wright says this, when Jesus now prays, what Jesus now prays grows out of the fact that he's going away. And I close with this as the worship team comes up. He is entrusting the disciples to the Father he has known and loved throughout his own earthly life. The Father who he knows will care for them every bit as much as he has done himself. Jesus is very much aware that the disciples are at risk. The world, which hates them as much as it hated him, will threaten and abuse them. They don't belong to it, but they are to be sent into it, and they need protecting. That's what the prayer is all about. And he Wright continues that this is a serious prayer. It's one of the most serious things Jesus has ever said, and that's why deep down it is also among the most joyful and the most hopeful. And we are to pray it with awe and we are to pray it with delight because the Son of God prayed for your protection because he knew that that prayer would be heard and that 2,000 years later as we sit here, that divine protection sits upon you. It's a formed habit 
of prayer to God. It's the most precious and important and powerful thing that we have. The pattern is established for us in the scriptures. The purpose is seen in the high priestly prayer of Jesus for us. And the power is seen in the promises that we are kept in his care. Our Father in heaven, through the Holy Spirit, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Where? What does it say? Here, just like it is in heaven. How is it done? Through you, through me, through his people. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we're to forgive those who trespass against us. Why? Because it sets the example for a world that hates itself. Say nothing of the person standing next to it. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Echoes of this prayer. Echoes of this prayer that Jesus has prayed that the Father would watch over us just as he had watched over Jesus. Find comfort. Wherever this finds you, find comfort in the fact that your king, in his last moments of life, prayed that you would be protected. He then gives the same Holy Spirit to you and to me to be able to pray the same way that he prayed with the same access to God the Father that he had for the same purposes in which he prayed. So we engage him in song. We encounter him in the word. We respond to him in prayer. One of the things we're going to do this week just to allow the Lord to just settle some of these things. I want to encourage you, if you feel like staying a little bit after the last song, we got one or two more songs after that. The worship team is going to pray softly. If I could have the prayer teams come to where it is you need to be, I would appreciate it if you would just take your places there. I would encourage you, as I did last week, I know this is a new thing, but that's okay. God is good. I live my life unsettled 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It'll be all right. I do want to encourage you to just lift your voices to the Lord in prayer in this last song and if you feel as though you need additional prayer and you just want to rest in the presence of the Lord just work your way to the front and for those of you who are okay with leaving and it's time for you to go I would encourage you that's great too we get coffee we have apple cider we have all kinds of things down in the cafe for drinks we'd like you to just you know go fellowship we also have our meal uh, after service here so you grab your coffee and you head down to the fellowship hall and you can grab yourself a bite to eat but Father as we close in this last song stir our hearts stir our hearts to hear your voice in Jesus name if you'd stand please